Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. All righty, and good morning to everybody online. And once again, that, uh, <laughs> that number is growing as more and more people are um, dealing with COVID and the spike that we've had. Be careful out there, folks, because, you know, we're just we're so close to a vaccine. We're just so close to a vaccine and herd immunity, what they call, and, and, and hopefully that uh, late spring, you know, maybe by the end of, of April, um, we'll have back to normal. Everything will be back to normal. Won't that be nice, you know? be able to go into a store without a mask on and all the other kind of stuff. And so we're so close. But be praying because we lost a member of our congregation partly due to COVID, you know, Rich Fraley, and, and be praying for, for Rich's family. And, and we've had a couple other be diagnosed this week that are homesick and isolating. And so uh, I spoke to one of them last night. They said their symptoms are mild, and hopefully they'll stay that way until it's gone. But be praying. Just be, be praying. Praying for our nation. Praying that this vaccine gets out, works, and, and, and we can all just get back to normal. And when that happens, then we have a job as a church to rebuild and be praying for the church, not just this church, but every church, because every church is struggling with this to a degree. Um, Megan spoke to a, uh, a guy who's helping minister a church and and they're struggling and everything. It's just, it, it, they're, we're going to have to rebuild when this is all over. And we're going to have to prepare for that. And when that happens, it might look different. Now, <clears throat> change always comes, but here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit about change this morning as we talk about the church reaching out to the Gentiles for the first time in Acts, in Acts 9 and 10. And we'll start in Acts 9.32. That's, that's where we'll start. We'll go through the end of chapter 10. Now, I do not deal well with change. Uh, you know, when my daily routine is altered, I'm a little like Rain Man five minutes to Wapner, Right? I mean, a little bit like that. Um, I, I get really antsy. I, I traveled for a living for eight years, and I, I like to travel. I mean, I, I hate airports, you know, because who, who wants to go to second base with a TSA agent just to get on an airplane, right? But, I mean, it, it, it's, I, I hate that. But I do love to travel. But here's the deal. Every time when I traveled for a living, when Megan and I traveled before the pandemic, when we'd go to pastor's conferences or whatever, the first night in a hotel, I don't sleep. I can't because it's that Rain Man thing. I want my bed. I want my bedroom. I want 72 degrees and a fan on me, and I want that's what I want. And Lord help me because I always fall asleep before Megan, so I always let her pick what she turns on like Netflix or, or whatever to fall asleep to. I've even grown used to going to sleep to the great British bake-off show. Um, I, you know, it's, just, it's in, this is like, you know, 
here I am, 48 years old, I hate reality TV, I hate that kind of stuff, and I have like ingrained in my mind before I go to sleep every night. You know, get ready, set, bake. Um, but I don't like change, but change happens. And there are two equal and opposite errors that can happen when change comes along. For about, you know, a certain percentage of the population, change comes along and they freak out like I did. They just don't like it. There's a certain percent of the population that loves it, thrives on it. They love change for change's sake. Um, those are people who, by the way, should never enter the ministry. And I'll tell you why. There are people out there who have built big churches and then destroy churches because what they do is they want change and they want to be different. They take really wacky doctrines and push them. I've seen this in Bible colleges, seminaries, and I've heard it from pulpits, preachers who get up and say God doesn't know the future or Genesis 1 through 11 is a fairy tale or all this other kind of stuff. And that's dangerous. And they're doing that not because the evidence supports that. They're doing that because they just, they're contrarians. They just like to be different and shake things up. And that's wrong. But for people like me who don't like change, unfortunately the Bible says you got to deal with it. Because it's going to happen, and you have to know how to deal with it biblically. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we get there, let's jump into Acts 9.32. We talked about Paul last week. Dad did. Now we're switching back to Peter. We're not going to see too much of Peter after this. We'll see him in chapter 15, but he kind of disappears for a while. 9.32. Now, as Peter went here and there among all the believers, he came down also to the saints living in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, notice two things there. Again, I know I hammer on this, but this is important. This is part of preparing for what we need to do when this pandemic is over to glorify and enlarge the kingdom of God. Notice how this happens, this healing happens. Does Peter do it? Nope. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He didn't take any credit for it. And then the response is that people turn to the Lord. That's the reason miracles happen, to bring glory to God and bring people to the Lord. Not to bring glory to any person. 36. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas, which means Tabitha was her Jewish name. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. This was typical for preparing someone for their burial. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men with him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. In other words, she, she made clothes for people. She was practically just help people that were poor. And Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. 
Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon the Tanner. Now notice again, he doesn't get up there and do this big rigmarole. What does he do? He just kneels down and prays. And then he says, Tabitha, get up. Again, showing that it's God's work. And people turn to the Lord because of it. Now, my whole point in that is this. If we're going to be biblical after this pandemic, and we're going to help grow the church, and I mean the church worldwide, here, Uganda, etc., it cannot be about any individual. It has to be about the Lord. And all glory needs to be given to the Lord. Remember that. Now we get into 10. Now things are about to get interesting. Now, I want to put this in context for you. Peter growing up, or any of the disciples, little John, little James, growing up in Israel, when their parents would walk them around, walk around Jerusalem or, or, or walk around Galilee, they would look over, they'd probably point to Roman soldiers who were typically Gentiles. That means they were uncircumcised, etc. Don't know what that means. Don't Google it. Just take my word for it. It means not Jewish. But, and they would point to them and say things like, now, we don't get near those people. We don't eat with those people. We stay away from those people. To associate with those people makes us unclean. And then we can't go to the temple. We can't go to the synagogue. We can't worship. It makes God angry. You don't go near those people. And they'd say, Mama would say to Peter or James or John or whoever, and see them? See what they're eating? Eating shrimp? Eating pork? We don't eat that stuff. That's just gross. It's offensive to God. We don't eat it. Raised this way. Raised this way. Keep that in mind. Ten. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms, that means money, generously to the people, and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your charity have risen to heaven as a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. Now, when the angel spoke to him and left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens opened up and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And that four-footed creatures, that means one of them was a pig. And then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. Peter's been through this before. He's like, this is a test, isn't it? I'm not failing again. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane or unclean. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Can you imagine? I know this is hard for you to imagine. That a big picnic blanket opens up before you, and God says, eat bacon. And you go, no. But you've got to remember how he was raised. He was raised. That's gross. Now, I sympathize, and here's, here's why. I have a weird thing about food. I just do. I have a weird thing about how it looks, the texture. I don't know why. Been that way since I was a kid. I know this is blasphemy to many of you. I cannot eat a hot dog. Nope. Uh-uh. Get away from me. Mustard and mayonnaise, disgusting to me. Cannot stand it. Just who I am. That may be tough for you to let me, let me, but here's where I sympathize with Peter and what's going on here. I, when I traveled for a living, um, when I'd go to the Philadelphia area or the Lancaster area, Amish country in, in Pennsylvania, I'd often take a buddy with me who lived in Philadelphia who did my job before me. We became friends. He just liked to hang out with me, a guy named Dave Wiedis. He's a professional counselor. And Dave and I went to see a couple that were very generous don- donors to the uh, nonprofit that I was working for. And they lived in Lancaster, and, and so we go to their home for dinner. Now, typically when I met them, we'd go to, like, Olive Garden. That's fine. I like pasta. That's fine. I can deal with that. But this night, they decided, this lovely woman decided she was going to cook for me an Amish delicacy. Folks, let me go ahead and tell you, there is no such thing as an Amish delicacy. What she laid before me, now I like pork. I can live on bacon and pork chops. But what she laid before me was pig's stomach. Now these are donors. I have to be polite. But I also cannot gag at the table. I was sitting there going, how do I be polite and not turn this into the vomit scene from Stand By Me and just go, you know, start spraying the table? This is how Peter felt. You know, they're showing him like shrimp and, and, and bacon and pork chops. He's going, oh my gosh. So keep that in mind. Verse 17, now while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house, were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. That's God's way of saying, Peter, get moving. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. 
was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and, and called them together as relatives and close friends. Now this is Caesarea. For those of you who have been to, to Israel with us, like you, Sandy, and others, you, we've been there. That's where we went on the sea. And on Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet worshipped him. But Peter made him get up saying, stand up, I am only mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with us or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So I was sent for, I came without objection. Now I'm going to ask why you sent for me. On this long walk from Joppa to Caesarea, Peter's thinking about this vision, and it finally dawns on him. There, this clean, unclean thing is gone. That was a huge deal for him, and it took a miracle like that to change his mind. Cornelius replied, four days ago at this very hour at three o'clock, I was praying in my house, then suddenly a man in dazzling clothes stood before me. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your charity have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon a tanner by the sea. Therefore I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. So now all of you, all of us here in the presence of God, to listen to all the Lord has commanded you to say. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I love this. As I said, it's not about Peter, and Peter's about to learn this. This has never happened to me, but while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard him speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They invited him to stay for several days. Peter's preaching, and in the middle of his sermon, the Spirit says, you've said enough, shut up. And it falls upon the people. If I ever hear a voice from the clouds while I'm preaching say amen or something like that, I'm done. You guys can just go. Grab a donut on the way out, we're done. Now, Peter, a couple things here. First thing, notice this. 
This only happens a couple times in Acts, and every time it's when the gospel is open to a new group. The Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. The Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. Why is that? Because there has to be an apostolic witness there to see it, and that's God's way of saying, quit being prejudiced, idiot. That's the reason for it. The way God envisions it now, the, the, the typical pattern is you come to faith, and we dunk you. Now, in Acts, they dunk them immediately. We take some time, and I understand that. But they dunk them immediately, and then God promises to give you the Holy Spirit. That's how that typically works. He does it in reverse here to show the disciples that their prejudice is not warranted. Get over it. The gospel is for anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone. That's one. Two. They have seen powerful miracles the disciples have to show that the Samaritans were welcomed into the body. Now that stuck in their crawl. Jews didn't like Samaritans, even though Samaritans were half Jewish. They didn't consider them Jewish. But at least, okay, they believe the Bible, they worship the one God, they have some ties to Judaism, all right, we'll accept them. But Gentiles? Eat pork, eat shrimp, don't get circumcised? Believe in all these gods, have all these pagan festivals? Support the Roman Empire? Them? And even after this miracle, we're going to see in Acts 15, the church, the young church is still struggling with this. They have to have a meeting of all the disciples and Jesus' brothers and everyone. they got to get together and go, what are we going to do about these Gentiles? Because, folks, even for the early church, change is difficult. No more temple worship. No more kosher food. No more... Ugh. Think about that. Change is difficult then. Change is difficult now. A guy by the name of Tom Rainier is a guy I really respect. He used to be the head of the Billy Graham Center at Southern Baptist Seminary, and then, then he became the president and CEO of Lifeway. And, and Tom Rainier wrote a book several years ago called Who Moved My Pulpit? And it's based on a true story about a, uh, a new preacher at a Southern Baptist church in the South and when he came to the church, he got hired, he thought it was strange that the pulpit, movable pulpit like this one, was off to the side. So he had the custodian move the pulpit to the center so everyone could see. 50% of the church freaked out they had to have a deacon's meeting about it. Who moved the pulpit? Now, if you, if you think that's weird, trust me, I've been doing this 21 years. It ain't weird. You change the music, you change the temperature. You change the way the chairs are set up. You change the volume. I have heard it. Why is it so loud in the back now? I sit in the back because it's too loud up front. I don't know. I didn't. Look, if Jim Bays wasn't up there, man, in the sound, trust me, we'd be in trouble. I have no idea how to work that thing. That's like a console from Star Trek, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know. 
Why don't we have to? Change is difficult. Difficult then, difficult now. And I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit. But I, I will give a cautious prediction that when this pandemic is over, one of two things is going to happen with the church. Either we do what we've always done, the way we've always done it, as a group. And if every church does that, we're going to end up like Europe, where about 3% of the people are going to church, and church buildings are basically empty on Sunday morning. Or we take the changes we need to individually and corporately to reach people for the kingdom of God and if God blesses it, and we can only control one of those two things, we be faithful, God blesses it, we control the faithfulness, God controls the blessing. If that happens, we can see true change and revival. But it's going to require change. And it's going to make us uncomfortable, and it's going to make me uncomfortable, and we're just going to have to embrace that discomfort. Now, I'll give you some tips on this. I, I'm, I know this is redundant, but for the people at home, I'm a weird guy. Um, I, I like to read a lot. I, 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 one of the things I read is the Harvard Business Review. Don't ask me why. Um, I don't know. Again, it's change is difficult. I've been doing it for years. I got into a habit. I don't know. Anyway. But in an article in the Harvard Business Review that I have several years ago, there was an organizational psychologist. Yes, there is such a thing. It's like a consultant to organizations. And one of the things that he wrote an article about was how an organization and individuals can deal with change. And he had a couple recommendations. And here's his first. Get a sense of humor. And here's why. And I mean this sincerely. Laugh every single day. Laugh as much as you can every single day. Laughter reduces stress, which produces clarity of thinking. So laugh. Find something that makes you laugh. It, you know, it drives my wife crazy, but, I, you know, I... If I'm not watching some scary movie, which I never do when she's home because she claims she has nightmares, and all kind of, it's just an excuse so I don't have to turn it on. But anyway, you know, I watch like stand-up comedy or old comedies or, or stuff like that because I want to laugh. And you should do the same thing. And you need to understand, those of you who are stuck in households with pandemics, people have different senses of humor. My wife thinks that puns and dad jokes are actually funny. I don't get it, but all right, God bless her. I send them to her. I text them to her when I find one because I, just, she, she, I want her to laugh. I found out how different our senses of humor were when a couple years ago. See, I love the movies of Mel Brooks. The producers, Young Frankenstein, you know. But I really love Blazing Saddles. A movie you could not make today... 
Even though it, 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 it's puzzling, you can't make that movie today because of the racial language in it, even though, do you know who wrote all those racial jokes? Wasn't Mel Brooks, Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor co-wrote Blazing Saddles. And so, but my favorite scene has nothing to do with dealing with the racial tension and stuff in Blazing Saddles. My favorite scene is the campfire scene where they're eating beans and what happens when a bunch of guys sit around a campfire eating beans for a long time and they're emitting gas. And do you know how they did that, by the way? They didn't actually record that. They weren't actually emitting that much gas. Mel Brooks went into a studio afterwards and did this with his, that's how he recorded those sounds. And, but that scene, I'm watching that scene, I'm laughing, even though I've seen it a hundred times, I'm laughing so hard, I'm shaking physically. I'm about to roll off the couch. My wife, stone-faced. And I'm laughing, and finally the scene ends, and I'm still laughing. And my beloved wife, my best friend in the world, looks me in the eye and says, you are a child. <laughs> Different senses of humor. That's okay. That's all right. Find something that makes you laugh. I don't care if it's dad jokes or old movies or stand-up comedy. Some of you I, I, say you haven't found anything funny since The Tonight Show, since Johnny Carson left The Tonight Show. Guess what? That stuff's on YouTube. Make YouTube your friend. I was just watching one last night, my favorite. Do you know who Johnny Carson's favorite comedian was? Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield would absolutely just knock Johnny Carson over. There were times when Johnny Carson would try to interview him, and he couldn't get it out. He was struggling to breathe. And I find Rodney funny, but let's face it, his jokes are like 100 years old, but they're still, for some reason, they're still funny, you know. I went to my psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist said, you're crazy. I said, I want a second opinion. He said, okay, you're ugly too. Stupid but funny. Find something that makes you laugh. Laughter reduces stress. Reducing stress produces clarity of thought, which brings me to my next point. If you're upset about some kind of change and you're talking to your spouse or your, your family or me or whatever about it, always try to do this. Always. And in fact, do this in any conversation, disagreement, anytime you're upset. Talk about the issue, not how you feel about the issue. Talk about the problem, not how you feel about the problem. Take I feel, I think, out of the conversation and focus on the problem at hand. What's the problem? And three, you focus on values instead of the anxiety. So if you're talking to me about something, let's say we, we know we changed something up at the church and you're like, I don't like it. Okay. What don't you like about it? And do you think it serves the kingdom of God or doesn't? That's the conversation to have. If it's just you don't like it, church should not, you should not never treat church the way you treat mm, Walmart or Target. This is not a consumer decision. This is a commitment for Christ. 
You can't treat it the same way. And four, and here's the other big one that I have to work on. Don't expect stability. Just learn to live with change. It's always going to change. Things are always going to change. Back in the 80s, I heard this all the time when I was in school. Take typing so you'll have something to fall back on. Would you give that advice to someone today? Do you know how I put my way through college? I managed a video store. Can you find one today? Gone. Gone. Things change. And I understand we all have that right at some point in the age to be the old coot who complains about things. I've done it. One of these days, believe it or not, some of you who are younger than me will walk around going, I remember when we had iPhones and not these th implants in our head, you know, and all that, whatever, however things change. I know I want to carry this around. I don't want something in my head, you know, whatever. It'll happen. It'll just happen. And we just have to deal with it. And when I'm talking about some of the change we're going to have to deal with, here's one of the issues that I think, I think, we're going to have to deal with in the next 10 to 20 years. Now, I didn't see this change. I was too young. I was born in 72. But some of you did. Some of you were here to see it. Some of you saw people who had fully embraced the ethos of the 60s, free love, drugs, all that kind of stuff, end up realizing by the early 70s that that wasn't working. It didn't create the paradise they thought it would. They weren't happy. They weren't fulfilled. And they started coming, some of them to this church, barefoot, back in the day when, in some churches in this area, if you didn't come in in a three-piece suit and a dress down to your ankles, they told you to leave. Now, here's the deal. Russell Moore who is the head of the ELRC in Washington, D.C., and used to be a big shot, used to be Al Mohler's right hand at Southern Baptist Seminary. Russell Moore said something I found, find very interesting. He said, what is the church going to look like when the refugees from our overly sexualized secular cultures start to stream into the church? What's it going to look like when people who, as teenagers, elected to become transgenders and to begin to take testosterone or testosterone blockers or whatever, and their body has changed, and they come into the church at 25 looking for Jesus, and there's no way to go back, what do we do then? Now, I tell you right now, I've inherited just enough of my father, unfortunately. By that, I mean the nose. I always wanted mom's nose. Anyway, I, Amy got the looks. At, anyway, um, oh, thank you, yeah. 
you, Megan, and that's it. But anyway, um, I, you know, my father, and he had Bill Lewis at his side for this, for a lot of this. When they started coming in bare feet, smelling like they hadn't been near a shower in about a month, and guys with hair down to their butt and all that kind of stuff, dad's response was, come on in. Can we sit on the floor? He was like, I don't care where you sit, as long as the fire marshal doesn't shut us down. Come on in. Are we going to have that same attitude? Because it's coming. Can you put kingdom first to embrace that? And when I say embrace that, I don't just mean not object. I mean welcome, love. Can you do that? Change is coming. It's coming. If we're faithful and God blesses it, change is coming. And if we're going to be faithful to God, and if it's blessed by God, we need to say, praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all have our prejudices, we all have our quirks, we all, but help us that when change comes that you've blessed, that it's a, if it's a movement of the Holy Spirit, that your people everywhere, and especially here, will embrace it, that we will love people, that we'll never say what is sinful is right, but we will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ encourage anyone to repent, come to faith, and grow closer to you. May we do so in, with love for you, gratitude for your gospel, for your son dying on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. May we do this in your name and to your honor and your glory, not Christ Community Churches, not any individuals, but to your glory, O oh Lord. This we pray. Amen. God bless you. God goes with you. I'm going to go home to watch the Bengals lose. <laughs> Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.